If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. 2020 was virtual by necessity. 2021 and beyond is hybrid by choice. Hybrid events are all about the pre, the present, and the post. And education is the same. How might a hybrid event work for you as we navigate a post-pandemic world? If you're teaching or presenting a workshop in some capacity, how do you keep attendees, particularly the remote ones, engaged? And how can extended reality, or XR, help you in that process? Michael Cohen is both the CEO and co-founder of Atlanta-based information and technology services company, Yugo Virtual. He is also the president of the Toronto chapter of the VRAR Association. And recently, Michael gave a presentation about creating events that are hybrid by choice during the summer edition of the VRAR Global Summit Online. Michael, with your background in hospitality and technology, how did you first become aware of virtual reality and augmented reality? What was your first experience with them? That's an interesting question. So I think really my first experience was as a consumer. You know, I just started to, obviously I've been a technologist. I've been, you know, a person who spent his entire career taking A, B, C, and D and creating E, which is, you know, A was like an idea. B was a technology, C was an opportunity, D was how to execute, and E was how to actually commercialize, get it to market, you know, make it profitable. And that's what I've done my whole career since I was 21 years old. So I originally, you know, was in more traditional business environments in, you know, in all types of packaged goods. And, and then I moved into hospitality and so on. But about 17 years ago, I started to be involved in marketing and advertising meetings because I was an advertising executive for 10 years. And, you know, digital media, the concept of communicating, you know, more impactfully outside of traditional print media, outdoor advertising, you know, in-store printed materials. Suddenly I started seeing these kind of digital, again, that time it was digital, digital trends and digital impactful technologies and that really piqued my interest. And then, of course, as I got into the technology industry in general, with the explosion of smartphones and the ability to have a mini computer in everybody's hand, combined with soon, or actually in concert, internet connectivity exploding. Like this is now 17, 18, 20 years ago now in some respects, right? People forget. That the internet, you know, its real expansion was like 15, 17, 18, 19 years ago. Prodigy, CompuServe, things like that, that people forget about. So all those things created this platform that I was watching and involving. And I was involved in different types of technologies and so on. And then I, you just started seeing this focusing of all these great communication platforms and dissemination platforms and educational platforms and abilities for people to communicate. And then... The concept of the physics is starting to get worked out in regards to 3D and the ability to have, again, these mini computers in people's hands would have the processing power to be able to digest all this heavy content 
and understand how to create more multidimensional experiences. And then it became all about social media, and then it became about engagement, and that's really the path. So I know that's like a macro answer to how I got into it, but I've been involved in all these different technology, communication, and societal touch points for 20 years. I'm curious what one of the coolest things was that you saw in that journey that absolutely wowed you. Yeah, I mean, the first thing that really wowed me was probably when I first saw I was in Korea on an international business trip, and it was in 2000, so 21 years ago. I know I look much younger than I am. No I'm kidding. I'm 25. <laughs> yeah, you, exactly. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was 21 years ago now, and I think about it. And what it was was a three-dimensional holographic point of presence presentation in a shopping mall in Seoul. It was three-dimensional, and it was holographic. It was being, you know, it was a Princess Leia moment. If you know I'm getting out from the Star Wars reference, right? A Princess Leia moment. It was a retail, you know, point of presence piece. And I was walking through this mall and I just went, what is that? How is that possible? And I was a technology person actually there working on technology opportunities. And I was still, of course, totally blown away. And meanwhile, the consumers are just walking by it and everything else, because in that part of the world, like many times, Japan, Korea, they're always five, six, seven years ahead. And that's still the case in many ways. So that was really the first time I was like, wow. And it was a promotional piece. It was a holographic, three-dimensional. It was a, you know, a promotional model holding a product. And it was actually a digital camera, if I remember correctly. And she was holding it and you were looking at it. And then the the camera had a three-dimensional, you know, experience as an object. And I was just mesmerized. So that really resonated, obviously. And I didn't see anything like that in North America, frankly, for four or five, six, seven, eight years. But there it became something that was, you know, leading edge, not bleeding edge, leading edge. And that was the first one that really blew me away. That's really the magic right there. When something like that can wow a professional tech person like you, they're yeah. really on the right track. And Dot, I'm, yeah, fair enough. I'm in the technology industry, but I'm not an engineer. I'm not a software programmer. I'm a regular Joe who, you know, so for me, it's very much from like, I'm a consumer. I'm maybe a prosumer is a better way of frankly saying, but I, that's what I am. As a prosumer, you're doing something exciting with Yugo Virtual. And I wish we could apply that right to our audience because a lot of people would be interested in what you're doing. You are crafting hybrid events going from A to E like you just discussed. Before we actually look at how that might work, I'd love for you to give me a quick snapshot of how you came to create Yugo Virtual as the co-founder. Sure. So about three and a half years ago, I had uh, my mother-in-law always told me when I was growing up, and my dad did too, that there is no original idea. There are ideas that get flushed out and they get executed upon. Many people have similar ideas. It's very rare that there's an actual independent, you know, idea that no one has ever had a concept or a vision of. It's about execution. It's about verification. It's about, you know, getting it to market or getting it into science or getting it to whatever, education. So frankly speaking, I, of course, was in, I have been for many years in the hospitality technology space and the meeting and event space, meeting and conventions are a huge part of our industry, that industry, you know, multi-billion dollar industry. And it's a huge part of the industry is meeting and conventions and so on. So. I just thought, you know, this is really kind of, the market is ripe 
and this is well before two years before the pandemic, the market is really ripe to have an alternative, to have a way for people to congregate, to have effective engagement, for commerce to proceed, for education to be disseminated, for keynotes to be presented. That doesn't just have to be that I have to or you have to get on a plane, go to San Francisco, spend 40, not a bad thing, but if it becomes like three or four times a year, or it's sort of limiting and somewhat exclusive or exclusatory, maybe is a better word, for people who don't have budgets, for people who are not senior enough in their career organizations to get the approval or access to attend some of these conferences and some of these meetings and some of these events. And I just thought, I know there's technology out there. How can we find best of breed technology, align it and organize it in a way that we feel is appropriate for travel, hospitality, industry. And that was the original kernel, but Yuga Virtual has expanded globally and we are absolutely enterprise-wide, which means we started in travel and hospitality, but we do Fortune 100, Fortune 500, major enterprise, educational, NGOs. We're doing all types of virtual hybrid events, but it came out of that kernel of an idea. And I was very lucky. You know, business is about people. It's not about technology. And it's not about finance. It's about people. It's about the people you work with, the people you build a business or, or develop a technology or implement a, you know, an educational you know, organization with. And then it's about timing. So it's about great people and great timing. And sometimes it's great to be smart. And sometimes it's great to be lucky. But it's so much more impactful when you're lucky and smart. And I was lucky enough to have a wonderful network of like-minded you know, folks who are from the technology space, the business space, et cetera. And I put together, I, I reached out to three particular other individuals who I really respected and others. And the four of us built uh, you know, Yuga Virtual. We launched it in 2018, three years ago. And you know, we have really achieved a lot in the last three years. Frankly speaking, the pandemic is and was a huge challenge and tragedy. But what's wonderful for our business is not the fact that we grew because part of the catalyst was the pandemic. It's because we were able to actually grow while delivering what was required for people to keep some consistency in regards to their educational programs, learning management opportunities, you know, industry associations who are having their annual events, corporate, you know, major product launches. We were able to create and we are creating you know, consistency, and we helped people get through the pandemic, right? And it's still happening. It's not over yet because the reason why we built the business, it's kind of, hasn't morphed. It's kind of perfected in some ways. It's crystallized the raison d'etre, the mission statement, who we are, the value prop because of the pandemic. And because 2020 was virtual by necessity, 2021 and beyond is hybrid by choice. And I heard you give an amazing presentation with that exact title for the VRAR Global Summit. Let's look at hybrid by choice now as it relates to our audience. You referenced yes. education. Suppose somebody listening is, well, let's say that they're a college instructor and now they're going to give a course, but they want to make it hybrid and they want to make it engaging. What could they do? Well, a couple of things. First of all, I'll just say that I... I have a very interesting experience with education in general, not beyond the fact that I was 
I guess, educated somewhat, hopefully, is the fact that my extended family, many, many of my extended family have been educators or are educators at the university, you know, secondary level, enrichment teachers, principals, directors of education. So I have some context sitting around the dining room table for 30 years, listening to the realities of education, the challenges and the opportunities. Okay. So I have a little bit of context as an outsider insider, if you know what I'm getting at. Okay. So it's helpful because it's not just about, again, technology for technology's sake. Here's the situation. In my opinion, hybrid, so be creating a equal experience, not a digital twin, an equal experience between a virtual student and an in-person student and creating a hybrid content delivery and an ability that the information can be communicated, transferred, absorbed, and retained in a very impactful way in person and or, you know, hybrid and virtually. There's a ton of you know, online educational platforms, Desire to Learn, and many others. These, these massive companies have done this. And again, they were doing it for 15 years before universities and high schools were closed. And obviously, it's been a boon to them. And it's important that they exist. So the platforms are all there. And everyone who's listening to this podcast is more familiar than me, but all the different online learning platforms. What we're talking about is, I'm going to go back to this again, communication, transfer of knowledge, absorption and retention, 3D models of a scientific molecule concept, the transfer of a plenary or a presentation by a professor so that it's in person, but also it is remote. So there is this kind of a streaming opportunity and students have the ability to you know, interact and ask questions as they are the virtual hybrid components, as if they were also in person in the university environment. Absorption is the biggest part of this for me. It's so much more impactful when we can add augmented reality experiences, which I'll explain what I mean by that, 3D models, repetitive, meaning ability to have on-demand content that is not just needs to all be digest live. So creating these repositories of multimedia, way more now, much more than multimedia used to mean, Multimedia meaning contextual, physical in a digital way. Obviously, today the you know, streaming technologies and the notes and the different things that you need to you know retain as a student. But when you add the innovation and the overlay of 3D augmented reality and VR in the right spots, it can't just be because it's cool. It can't just be because people are excited by it. It's got to be effective, right? That's when you take everything to a much higher level. It becomes so much more, you know, frankly, the engagement goes through the roof. And we know in online education or in education in general, engagement is the biggest challenge that most educators have with their students is keeping them engaged, keeping them on point and keeping them motivated. And when you, when an educator has the opportunity, you know, through delivery mechanisms that they have today, but when you start overlaying, again, 3D augmented reality activations and some VR, the ability for the, for the educator to do much more creative delivery of content, as well as the consumer, the, the students, to be able to be far more engaged and actually have retention. Because now the memory hooks are not just, because everything is about memory hooks in education, right? It's a memory hook. It's 
the you know, retention is about organizing all your content that you've obviously you know been taught disseminated to you you've interacted with you've had your your case studies you've done your workbooks and, and you have your work groups but it's really about the memory hooks and the retention of all this content so you can bring it back at the right time when it makes sense for either to utilize it in your career or you know the time that you need it or frankly when you need to complete your exam to get your accreditation. So that's what I really see what's really interesting from the opportunity for educators is this is not bleeding edge anymore. There are tools, there are products that are either already there in access to many educators from their you know, enterprise licenses from their universities or their boards of education, or they're coming. And the creator side does not have to be that overwhelming. Let's say, let's call it science and, and medical for a second. Science and medical content. There's so much 3D modeling. There's so much content that's out there, but it's not really effectively, in my opinion, utilized perhaps in what we're talking about, which is adding another layer of engagement and retention and impact. It may be, here it is, and now it's gone. We're showing you something, you're going to do this, and it's gone using a special software to calculate something, and then it's gone. What we're talking about is creating these platforms of information that are about, again, that they're available now. So here's another thing that's important, and I'm trying to stay on focus here, but hybrid events are all about the pre, the present, and the post. And education is the same. The pre-seminar, pre-professors, presentation, the pre-work group or so on. So we have a pre-experience where content can be reviewed. But now if you have digital 3D augmented reality content where a student or someone can interact with the content, extract it from, by the way, from the physical environment, a QR code is sitting in the seminar room and they can pull it out and they can start on the desktop in the seminar room, they could be interacting with the object or whatever it is, or seeing how water flows this way or that way, depending upon a situation, whatever it is. But then the remote or the virtual of the hybrid experience, they're extracting the exact same 3D model or augmented reality experience of like the water flowing a certain way. If you turn this way, the water flows another way. They're experiencing the same you know, engagement transfer of information, absorption opportunity, which hopefully leads to retention as the students in the inside the seminar room. That's the key here, is it creates somewhat of an even playing field and a shared experience. Here's the ultimate goal that's happening is study groups. Wouldn't it be a magic if a study group could happen between three students or professionals who are, you know, working on their seat, continuing education credits for the, you know, American Dental Hygienist Association or whatever it happens to be. If those people, if a part of that cohort who were in the seminar room or in the auditorium, they can interact in a study group after with another group of people who experienced it all remotely. And they have the same powerful study group experience. That's a really important thought about education and hybrid. Not every kid, not every professional can get everywhere. So not only does it create accessibility, it also scales the opportunity. 
from a university's perspective or an association's perspective. It scales, you know, the ability to have more endpoints, points of light, which are people, be able to interact with the educational content or the continuing educational content, the skill training content, university content, whatever it may be, than ever before. And it doesn't have to be that now that the pandemic hopefully soon will be completely over in North America and hopefully other parts of the world, that everything is going to go back to in-person. In-person is never going away. It's never going away in conventions. It's never going away in meetings. It's never going away in education. But we have, all of us have verified that the virtual component has value. So now the hybrid education delivery component is real. And having the ability to somewhat cost-effectively many times, scale the access, scale the opportunity, provide more people with more choice and more flexibility. Maybe they go, here's a perfect example. Maybe it's, they have a seminar twice a week, but they can only get to in-person once a week. And then the other seminar is the virtual version and they attend virtually. So it becomes flexible. It becomes more inclusive. You know, it provides people with access that they never had before. So that's some of my thought process on that question. Long answer, but hopefully it was effective. A lot of people listening right now are going to think, I would love to do this. Where do I get started? What are some of the resources you really like with your background, with your family, many of whom were educators that work effectively for this? Okay. Well, first of all, there are either the people listening or there are people that they know within their academic institution or their association who are have graphic design backgrounds who are, you know, who help them prepare video editing and so on. Like there's usually like a tech team maybe, or a skill set, or maybe it's something they have themselves as educators, right? They're used to, they're comfortable with Adobe Creative Suite, for example, the Adobe technology, right? PowerPoint on the Microsoft side, or, you know, Keynote on the Mac side, Photoshop, things like that. People are, have been working with multimedia for their educational content for a decade or two. What we're talking about now, not three years ago now, is sort of getting to that point where, hmm, there are actual tools. Adobe has a whole tool set. It's called Aero, A-E-R-O, that is all about creating augmented reality experiences for dissemination to groups. So there's Adobe, Microsoft, the usual suspects of productivity, graphic design productivity tools, many of them are coming out with modules or subsets that enable people who are prosumers of technology. I wouldn't say it's for entry level, but there are people who are very comfortable with sophisticated multimedia programs, or they have assistants, or they have teams within their institution that do that for them. Those tools are coming online. Apple just recently, I'm not saying it has to be Apple, Apple literally this week at the Worldwide Developers Conference announced that they are rolling out a new piece of the Apple platform universe that enables educators potentially to create 3D models, 3D objects, just from 2D photographs. So think about that dot, right? There's a thing, it's an engineering thing, it's a artistic thing, it's a science thing, whatever the thing is from a 3D object perspective. Apple just announced it, you can go online and look at it. And it basically what it is, is that you take a bunch of 2D photos from your iPhone or a mobile device, 
You upload that into the machine, right? The software, and it will create 3D objects. Wow. Three years ago, had to pay very specialized people. And that's still for more sophisticated, you know, very, very, you know, granular, deep, deep, deep 3D objects or incredibly sophisticated augmented reality, you know, in, in implementations. There's professionals like us, uh, frankly, who have professional services groups that do that. But now it's the power to the masses. The paradigm shift is happening. The ability to capture, create, organize, multimedia slash three-dimensional objects slash augmented reality experiences and soon VR experiences are coming into tool sets with software platform providers that everyone's using today. It's happening now and people can start searching. It's happening. Adobe Arrow, which I've used Adobe for years and I didn't know about this one. And what's it's the name? Adobe, Apple from the operations system side, uh, you know, obviously Microsoft has tools that are coming online. There's a lot of a lot of good content online that people can search and then they'll start seeing, wow, this is sort of accessible to me now as an educator as well. What was the name of the Apple new piece of technology that you referenced? I don't remember the exact term. I can maybe send you that link later. But if they look, if anyone looks into the any of the announcements from the WWDC, which happened this week, Apple Worldwide Developers Conference, there's three or four press releases and there's a bunch of media on that. And you can find that easily there. Basically, it's about 3D objects with 2D images. Taking a look online, as Michael recommended, this particular new tool, which Apple announced at WWDC, is called Object Capture. You can find out more about it at their website, developer.apple.com. Let's be sure and give a link. People are going to want to contact you. They're going to want to know more about what Yugo Virtual is doing. Where do they reach you? Sure. Well, I mean, it's yugovirtual.com. So it's U-G-O virtual, all one word, dot com. They can also find me on LinkedIn. I'm Michael C. Cohen on LinkedIn. The reason why it's C is because that's my middle name is Coleman, but also because there's another Michael Cohen on LinkedIn that is very popular because of political situations. I'm not that Michael Cohen. I'm another Michael Cohen. So I'm Michael C. Cohen on LinkedIn. People can reach out to me as well. And I'm also involved in the Global VRAR Association as a chapter president as well. Now, how can augmented reality help with on-the-job training in industry? Michael offered an example. We talked about 3D models. I think we've talked about that a lot. I think hopefully people understand the opportunity there, okay? Learning by doing is really key many times for, again, dissemination, absorption, and retention. Learning by doing. The ability to have in an augmented reality experience, right? So through the lens of, let's say, the mobile device or VR, okay, Educators can, are and can create, how do I fix the engine? How do I mix the chemicals? How do I do a filling in a dental situation? I mean, all these things, they're more tactile. I understand that. But there's a lot of creative use cases for learning by doing. And these tools and platforms create environments where the students can work on a lesson plan or content created by the educator and they can be learning by doing either VR, I'm, you know, VR means I'm interacting with a virtual experience, augmented reality, which means I'm interacting with an o augmented overlay to something physical. 
That's augmented reality is the overlay to the world. Virtual reality is the immersion into a virtual representation of the world. That's a difference, by the way. So that's really important to understand. And the other thing is holographic speaker content. We talked, we alluded to a little earlier. To me, that is a magical, huge point for education. And there is technology and costs are dropping dramatically where by the way, I have a green screen behind me. You have some sort of green screen or something behind you, okay? Normally in holographic, there needs to be this coming called the volumetric cameras. Like it's very expensive. There's like a 300 cameras and I'm taking all the pictures at the same time that creates the holographic image of Michael Cohen speaking. And that's broadcast, you know, and then placed on my desk. And I go, wow, there's Michael speaking. Now there's technology that we're involved in that we're rolling out as well that works off green screen and you know, this kind of camera. And it has, what I'm saying is there's some cost-effective ways to create holographic content, which is amazing in regards to putting the professor in this room or whatever, putting George Washington in my living room and having him, you know, or Abraham Lincoln, you know, doing the speech in the living room of the student. That's not fantasy anymore. That's also not outrageously expensive anymore. So that's important. And the last thing I wanted, two things I wanted to say is augmented reality is great for legacy content, legacy knowledge. There's someone who has 30 years experience. Let's use an industrial, you know, education, training. This is all part of the mandate, right? This is part of education is there's training, there's vocational, all that stuff. Joe is the engineer at a building, an office building. He's been there for 25 years. He knows all there is to know about that boiler in the basement. He knows that he has to kick it twice and turn the lever three times to the right in the middle of winter to make sure that it pumps out the heat. He knows that because he's been doing it for 10, 15, 20 years. With augmented reality, we can now put a post-it note, only seen virtually, a post-it note pinned next to the boiler, digitally pinned, not there, you can't see it in the real world, that'll say, Joe says, when it goes under XYZ Fahrenheit, kick the boiler twice and turn the thing twice to the right. And when Joe retires, you know, Sally is the new engineer, she comes in, she's 27 years old, she goes around and she sees all these amazing pieces of education, knowledge, data, training. I'm using a pejorative example, but it could be very sophisticated too, the training. Oh, right. She puts her phone next to the boiler in the basement. It goes, here's step one, here's step two, here's step three. It's not there for everyone to see. It's just for people who have a pin code that they put on their phone to get access to this magical educational content that's sitting next to the physical item. Did I communicate that correctly? Did, and there are so many applications you could Correct. Get exactly. So, but that's just an example. The boiler. It could be you teach a craft. Well, maybe people have the pin code and they scan. And there you are teaching them how to throw pots or how to do enameling or something of that nature. I can see a lot of applications for this. Very exciting stuff. So the last thing I'll just add dot to the to overall is you know quickly is learning management systems I think are or LMS is important from an education perspective and XR which is the overarching term of 3D AR VR XR means extended reality which is the overarching term XR 
I'll use two acronyms. XR and LMS, Learning Management Systems, are a mashup made in heaven. That's where the learning management systems are going, that they're all going to be incorporating XR components, XR content, XR tools for the educators to create that content, all happening, all coming online over the next two to three years. Wow. Exciting time to be alive. Michael, what's one of the most important things that you yourself have learned this past year about XR and creativity? The most important thing I've learned is it's not about us. It's all about them. I know that's an odd response, but I'm, I never have typical responses, Dot. So here we go. What I mean by that is people in the VR, XR, AR, technology, you know, the bleeding edge people and so on, much of technology is developed for other technology people. Much of it's discussed by other technology people. It's very insular sometimes. Like any elite organization, and educators are no different, by the way. You know, okay, a professor may, or professors, that's a normal human condition, right? We are experts. We are the, you know, we are the masters of the universe, and we are going to be sharing our knowledge, okay? (laughs) But what I've learned is, in what you asked in regards to XR and augmented reality and VR, is it's no longer about how do I impress a competitor or venture capitalist or get PR. It's not just like technology for technology's sake. It's not about being cool. It has to be about accessibility. It has to be geared towards the human condition, people. So when I said, you know, business is about people, here's an extension. Technology is all about people. Some people are concerned that it's about robots, but that's another conversation for another day. But this level for sure, because this, all we're doing in a very sophisticated way is we're applying a new lens to the human condition, a lens that is digital, virtual, potentially, but it's, and it's about, again, it's about dissemination of knowledge, absorption of content, retention of information, and then maybe some of it actually utilization of this all, Right. So what I've learned about is it's not about us. I mean, it's not about the technology industry or, you know, technology for technology's sake or getting it faster, getting it, you know, cheaper, getting it, you know, more, having more buzz. It's about these kind of conversations with real people in real parts of the human experience, education, healthcare, commerce, senior living, you know, a lot of things. It's making sure that whatever we're working on has application in the real lives of people. And it actually drives a better experience. And I say experience, I didn't say a better life or a better world. I'm not going to be that uh, pejorative, but it needs to drive a better human experience. And it also needs to equalize opportunity across the globe. And you know what I mean by that, right? So it's because of that, right? The technology gets, hopefully it's going to, the prices are dropping dramatically on stuff really, really low. Things, everyone, almost everyone in the world has one of these in their hands now. And that's a huge, huge kind of change in society, the opportunity for everyone in society. And if we can drive this to be more than simply TikTok, then we have a real opportunity to even the playing field from an academic perspective, from an opportunity perspective for everyone around the world. 
Michael, if people can only get one thing from you about innovation, creativity, and making a difference, what do you want them to take away from you and keep? Hmm. I want them to take away the fact that it's all about the opportunity of innovation and that people need to stay focused on all sides of this equation, meaning the developers, the investors, the users, the content creators, that it has to, everything has to be focused around the human experience and around people. And if that is your North Star, then you'll make really good decisions about, you know, everything's about decisions and about execution, right? Ideation, decisions, execution. That's what it's all about. And if you use that, that it should be hopefully positive and expansive to the human condition or human experience, it's a great, great North Star to make a lot of decisions. It's quite a high level concept, but it's helpful in everyday decision-making in the innovation industry. Michael, thank you for your time today. Pleasure. You and I have been listening to Yugo Virtual CEO and co-founder Michael Cohen. Find out more about Yugo Virtual's event and conference platform at yougovirtual.com. That's Yugo Virtual. It's the letter U, the word go, G-O, and then virtual, V-I-R-T-U-A-L, yougovirtual.com. Or as Michael said, you can reach out to him directly on LinkedIn. Look for Michael C. Cohen of Yugo Virtual. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at twomavericks.com. That's two, T-W-O, Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X. And you can contact us at twomavericks at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.